0: The 2022 film, All Quiet on the Western Front, has been something of an unusual success. Unusual because it is streaming on Netflix rather than being a cinema release, and also because it's a German-language movie. The film has already won seven British Academy Film Awards, and next week is in contention for no fewer than nine Oscars. This is the third film version of the novel of the same name, which was published in Germany as Im Westen Nichts Neues, which literally translates as Nothing New in the West. So why has this story, first published in serial form in 1928, and as a novel in 1929, remained so popular over almost a century? What does it tell us about war? And what is missing from the story? You're listening to The Sound of Solidarity, brought to you by Solidarity. We're a revolutionary socialist group in Australia, and if you'd like to find out more about us, our website is solidarity.net.au. I'm David Glanz, and I'm recording this episode on unceded Wurundjeri land in Narm, or Melbourne. If you haven't seen it yet, I recommend you to watch the film. It's a stunning, disturbing and gripping two and a half hours. With the benefit of CGI or computer-generated images, it gives the viewer a panoramic view of the First World War battlefield, full of mud and shit and abandoned dead bodies and horror. And its closer shots leave you in no doubt that war is disgusting. A process in which ordinary people are forced to kill each other, not for glory or the motherland, but just to survive another day. It's often said that history is written by the winners, but here is a story written by someone on the losing side. But it's not a story of loss or patriotism, and it isn't a complaint about who won the war. It's a story of war's horrors which is why the novel became an instant hit in multiple languages soon after its publication. The story really resonated with returned soldiers on both sides and from many countries. It tells their universal story. And any armchair warrior cheering on either side of the war in Ukraine should watch this film. With more than 200,000 Russians and 100,000 Ukrainians killed or wounded, that conflict bears more than a passing resemblance to the trench warfare of the First World War. As Charles Miller, a military expert from the Australian National University, put it recently about Ukraine, this is a World War I-style meat grinder. The war that ran from 1914 to 1918 was a gory festival of mass murder with workers sacrificed to defend imperialist empires and profit. The war in Ukraine and its fundamentals is not so very different. I'm going to talk about the film, the novel it was based on, and its author. But I'm going to do something else. I'm going to round out the bigger political story on which the film and the novel are largely silent. A story of mutiny and revolution, which ended the First World War in Russia and then Germany. It's not so much that Britain and the US and their allies, including Australia, won the war, more that ordinary people refused to fight it anymore. Revolution ended the war. That's not to criticise all quiet. Its author, Eric Maria Remarque, who was born Eric Paul Remarque, originally with a German spelling of his name, and then later on he took on a French spelling, had no intention of engaging with the politics of war. His aim was to tell the story of daily survival, of the terror, the privation and the monstrosities of the front line. He wrote in the preface to the novel, and I quote, This book is to be neither an accusation nor a confession, and least of all an adventure, for death is not an adventure to those who stand face to face with it, it will try simply to tell of a generation of men who, even though they may have escaped its shells, were destroyed by the war. Like the main character in the movie, Paul Boimer, Remarque joined the German army. But whereas his lead character volunteers along with his high school mates in a fit of youthful patriotism, all of whom die at the front, Remarque was conscripted at the age of 18, wounded on the Western Front, on July the 31st, 1917, and spent the rest of the war in hospital. After the war, in 1927, he fell into a deep depression, and I suspect today we'd say that he was suffering from PTSD, and Remarque decided to write the novel as a way of exorcising his demons. His aim wasn't political, although the Nazis hated the book and the first movie that was based on it. Partly that was because the Nazis tried to smear Remarque as Jewish, but mainly the Nazis regarded the novel and the film as an attack on the honour of German soldiers. The film premiered in Berlin in early December 1930, and the liberal paper Fossischer Zeitung wrote that never before had a film quote, had such a profound effect on the audience, who left the hall quietly and deeply stirred at the end of the screening. But across Berlin on the 8th of December, Joseph Goebbels, later Hitler's propaganda minister, led 200 Nazi stormtroopers into a different cinema. They shouted, Jews out, Jews out, and released mice, stink bombs and sneeze powder to get the screening closed down. And they repeated the stunts night after night until the film was finally banned. Goebbels wrote in his diary about what he called the Film of Shame, quotes, with that action the National Socialist Movement has won its fight against the dirty machination of the Jews. And when the Nazis came to power in 1933, All Quiet was one of the books that the Nazis publicly burned in Babelplatz in Berlin because of its so-called degeneracy. The Jewish manager of the cinema where the film premiered, a man called Hans Brodnitz, fell victim to the Nazis, eventually killed in a gas chamber in Auschwitz in September 1944. And the sick irony, of course, wasn't just that Remark wasn't Jewish, not that that mattered. It was that he wrote the book as a former serving soldier to tell the story of the front line. And far from smearing ordinary German soldiers, he was trying to describe their sacrifice as he wrote in correspondence with the British General after the release of the novel in 1929, and I quote, "'A book on the war is readily exposed to criticism of a political character, but my work should not be so judged, for it was not political, neither pacifist nor militarist in intention, but human simply. It presents the war as seen within the small compass of the frontline soldier.' pieced together out of many separate situations, out of minutes and hours, out of struggle, fear, dirt, bravery, dire necessity, death and comradeship, into one whole mosaic, from which the word patriotism is only seemingly absent because the simple soldier never spoke of it. His patriotism lay in the deed, not in the word. It consisted simply in the fact of his presence at the front. For him, that was enough. He cursed and swore at the war, but he fought on, and fought on even when already without hope. And of this there is, I believe, for those who can read, enough in my book. Now, remark was at least partly wrong there. Many German soldiers and sailors did not fight on and on. They mutinied, and they helped bring the war to an end. And I'll talk more of that soon. The 2022 version of All Quiet, which is the third film version of the novel, certainly shows the struggle, fear, dirt, bravery of the front line. Paul Boymer and his three friends join up in a fit of naive patriotism, urged on, some say bullied by their school teacher. They think the war will be their moment of glory and it will be over quickly with a famous German victory. But as they queue up to be issued with their uniforms, we find out that they're literally to wear dead men's clothes, bloodstains and all. One of the friends is killed within 24 hours of arriving at the front line. The others learn to get by and survive, although one by one they are killed, leaving only Boehmer at the last. Now, the film doesn't follow the novel strictly. In the book, Kaiser Wilhelm, the German Emperor, visits their section of the front line, and that's omitted and the movie includes a new plotline of the peace negotiations, in which the German representatives are forced into a total humiliating surrender. But perhaps most significantly, Boymer's death is treated quite differently in the movie, making a considerably sharper political point. Instead of being killed in October 1918, as in the novel, he dies in literally the final few minutes of the conflict, just before the armistice, at 11am on the 11th of November, 11, 11, 11. Just as the soldiers feel they're safe, they are exhorted and bullied into battle once again by a German general, desperate to get one last so-called victory. A couple of soldiers protest and are executed on the spot. The others solemnly follow orders, even though they know their attack is a meaningless, cruel gesture. And all this makes Boehmer's death even more pointless and the anti-war argument even more powerful. So it's a moving film, but like the novel, it misses the developments that were taking place as the fighting raged. In February 1917, revolution in Russia brought down the Tsar, literally the Kaiser's cousin. It's inconceivable that the German frontline soldiers would not have known about this, and indeed in the novel, Boehmer's detachment at one point guard a group of Russian prisoners. Almost three years into the war, soldiers on all sides were yearning for an end to the fighting, and the fall of the Tsar would have been a signal to them that the world was changing. At the outbreak of war, the SPD, the giant German Socialist Party, which was nominally Marxist, had a million members. At least some of them must have ended up fighting in the trenches. If they were not opposed to the war at the beginning, they would have been influenced by debates within the party. As early as December 1915, the number of SPD MPs arguing for war loans had dropped to 66 in favour and 44 against, and a minority of MPs critical of the war began to split away from March 1916 surely these developments would have been debated by at least some of the frontline troops, among them SPD members and supporters. If that wasn't enough, the second Russian revolution of 1917, in October according to the Russian calendar, and in November according to the Western calendar, would have echoed around the frontlines like a rifle shot. This time workers in Russia, led by the Bolsheviks, went even further overthrowing the political power of the capitalists and declaring that the war from the Russian point of view was at an end. Yet all quiet is all too quiet on these developments. One historian of the German army noted that as early as the northern spring of 1918, so let's say March and April, many new young recruits were infected with leftist anti-war propaganda. The impact of anti-war ideas was not as immediately strong on the front lines, but despite that, there were more than 4,000 desertions to the enemy that year. When the German high command ordered the fleet to sea at the end of October 1918, in one last bid to turn the war in their favor, sailors in Wilhelmshaven rebelled. They put out the boilers on the ships, which meant that the ships, driven by steam, couldn't sail from harbour. When those sailors were arrested, thousands more sailors in Kiel marched in solidarity, joined by port workers. And when they came under fire by pro-government troops, they fired back and the pro-government troops were forced to retreat. Within days, the German Empire crumbled and the Kaiser fled. Councils made up of elected delegates of workers, soldiers and sailors took control of city after city. Initially, the German ruling class thought it could hold on to Berlin. But as one journalist described the scene, and I quote, The Kaiser Alexander Regiment has gone over to the revolution. The soldiers had rushed out of the barracks' gates and fraternised with the shouting crowd outside. Men shook their hands with emotion and girls stuck flowers in their uniforms and embraced them. Members of my staff told me that officers are being stripped of their cockades and gold lace. Another witness reported, Endless processions of workers and soldiers were passing without break along the road. Army trucks passed by with red flags. They bore soldiers and red-ribboned workers, manifestly filled with iron revolutionary determination first in Russia and then in Germany. Soldiers refused to fight. Revolution ended the war. Remarque does not deal with these events. His focus is on the human cost of war. Last year, the German director Edward Berger told the audience at the British premiere of the new movie that he was motivated by the rise of nationalist and Nazi parties in Europe, and his version was a sharp rebuke to attempts to rehabilitate the First World War. That's all to the good, but I for one yearned for the film to end on an arguably more historically accurate note, with Boehmer and his comrades in arms refusing the final order to fight. Now, a film can't be reduced to a Marxist plotline, of course, and Remark was not a revolutionary, even though he lived through and would have understood and observed and known of many of these events. He was a man who hated the impact of war on human beings, and we should welcome the film in that spirit, but remember that it certainly doesn't tell the full story. Soldiers can be victims of imperialist warmongering, but they can refuse to fight. They can be the agents of its downfall. Amid the horror of war in Ukraine, that is the hope that Russian and Ukrainian soldiers realise they have more in common than what divides them, that they are pawns in a bigger game and that they should refuse to fight on for profit and empire. That would be the best epitaph for Remarque and the many millions of other victims of industrialised slaughter.